Amen. Well, we're continuing our series in uh, the epistle of First Peter. And uh, we'd like to welcome each and every one of you here to Hope Covenant Church once again. We're glad that you've come to join us. And uh, I just want to remind you, too, that uh, for those, we, there's a lot of people sick right now, a little flu and virus and stuff like that. And um, don't forget that if you have to miss a Sunday, you can always go uh, by Monday. We put the uh, uh, sermon on podcast and you can go to our website and listen to that. So I'd like to take the opportunity to say hello to those who are listening to this uh, via the Internet. And especially I'd like to say hi to Pastor Barb because she's always back there. She can't listen to the sermon until Monday. And to my friend in Belgium, I have one friend in Belgium that listens to the sermon every week. So and anyone else that's listening, uh, welcome as well. And thank you, especially to you that are actually in the room, you know, that are actually here present. Appreciate that. Let me ask you a question. Are you prepared to suffer for Christ? For most of us, if we're honest, the answer is no, or at least it's a qualified yes. Yet for millions of people, Christ followers throughout the world, the answer is yes. Not because they embrace suffering and persecution, but because they're in the middle of it. Now, we know from our last series of sermons, What is a Christian? that Christianity was born into a world of totalitarianism. Nero, Domitian, tremendous persecution. In the first century alone, from A.D. 30 to A.D. 100, over 100,000 Christians were executed. For the first 300 years, Christians, as you know, had no legal protection They had no leverage of any kind, whether it be political or financial. And the Roman Empire, to become a follower of Jesus, was to risk everything. Much different from our situation today. Today, in the United States of America, uh, the greatest country in the world, most of us would agree, we experience what I would call minor inconveniences. Sometimes they don't feel that way. We uh, people take away, uh, some, many people try to take away the tax-exempt status of the church. And that would be an irritation. It'd be, I wouldn't like that, but uh, they may do that. People have told us that there can't be any public prayers in school. I don't like that, but I can pray all day long to the Lord in silence. And, and even take away uh, our dignity at times, at least try to, mocking Christianity and movies and society and And all of that, and we all feel that, and it's not comfortable, and we kind of grumble about it. But quite honestly, that's small potatoes compared to what the rest of the world is experiencing. In the first century Asia Minor, uh, everything was upside down. Uh, Christians, again, had no position in society, and they were cruelly treated and persecuted constantly. And I want to remind you that that... Persecution here that we experience on this earth, on this planet, is the small kingdom. We talked about that a few weeks ago. That's the little kingdom. That's the kingdom of man. Uh, When you recognize that there is suffering in the little kingdom, and there is, there's persecution, there is war, there is crime, there is killing, there is sickness. All of that is in the little kingdom. But we are called to be kingdom people. We're called to the large kingdom. We're called to the kingdom of God. And somehow, living in this kingdom of God, we are supposed to still live in the kingdom of man. And that's where it gets sticky. So we will find ourselves at times suffering. And we will find ourselves at times being persecuted. Now, you may not feel that today. 
and you may never feel it in your life, quite honestly, but there are literally millions of people in the world right now feeling tremendous persecution and tremendous suffering for their faith. Open persecution. And now there are literally thousands of examples. If you're interested in this sort of thing, you can either purchase a a publication such as Christianity Today, Compass Direct, Christian Monitor. Those are published. uh, And also you can find those all online. But let me just share you just a few examples, a sampling of what it means for Christians, Christ followers, to be persecuted today. Let me give you some examples. Iran, March 8th. A military court in Iran has sentenced Christian pastor Hamid Pormand to jail for three years and has ordered his immediate transfer to a group prison cell in Tehran's notorious even prison. A move denounced by international Christian human rights groups. Pormand converted from Islam to Christianity 25 years ago. Since 1990, many ex-Muslims who converted to Christianity have either been assassinated or executed by court order under the guise of accusations of spying for foreign countries. Here's another one. Eritrea, February 23rd. 27 Sunday school teachers and students were arrested in Eritrean capital of Asmara. They were apprehended during their Christian instruction classes on Sunday morning, February 19th. Most of the students are young people who remain jailed with their teachers at a local police station. As part of the Orthodox Church, the group has normally been exempted from Eritrean government's harsh crackdown against Protestant Christians, some of whom suffer imprisonment in metal shipping containers or underground cells for refusing to renounce their faith. Last weekend's arrests make a total of 214 Eritrean Christians arrested by police authorities in the last two months alone. Nigeria, February 3rd. Muslim militants pronounced a death sentence on five Christian students expelled from public schools in November for conducting evangelistic outreach. The families of two of the students, Ms. Hanatu Harana Al-Kailai and Abraham Adumu Misal, were attacked on January 26th when militants went to their family homes and killed them. Nigeria, March 4th. Muslim militants attacked the Christian community in Demza village, Adamawa State, uh, northern Nigeria, on Friday, February 4th, killing 36 people and displacing about 3,000 Christians. India, March 10th. Insurgents in India are threatening to start killing evangelical leaders Thursday, March 10th, and, quote, totally destroy, end quote, the country's leading missionary organization unless it pays a ransom of 186,000 American dollars to avoid the, uh, dollars to avoid the bloodshed. The terrorists say they will target U.S.-backed Gospel for Asia and especially the organization's five Bible colleges, 70 Bridge of Hope schools, and over 750 believer, believers' churches. These are ecclesias, congregations in India's troubled northeastern state of Assam. Just a few other headlines. Bangladesh, church leaders beaten at, pub, at a police station. China, authorities plan to eradicate house churches. Somalia, Islamic extremists behead another convert. India, Islamic extremists extremists beat and mock Christians. And that is just a sampling of what is going on throughout the world. There's two responses I think I had to this when I read some of this. One was, I was so glad and proud to be an American that I can worship God freely every Sunday, every day, every moment. And the other thought was this. This is what it's going to look like. This is what it looked like in the first century. And this is what the Bible tells us it's going to look like at the end of times before Jesus Christ 
returns. How many persecuted Christians are there in the world? Most experts suggest about 200 million worldwide suffer persecution for their faith. We who live in freedom must daily pray for our brothers and sisters. Some of you will recognize the, the, the name Graham Stainer. Anybody remember that name, Graham Stainer? Okay, a few of you. Uh, on January 23rd of 1999, Graham and his two sons, Philip, 11 years old, Timothy, 6 years old, were murdered by a large mob of militant Hindus. They had gone to a Christian camp in the jungle where Graham was ministering. At midnight, the mob attacked, setting fire to the jeep in which Graham and his sons were sleeping. They were burned alive. When the fire finally cooled, they found the charred body of Graham stands with his arms wrapped around the bodies of his sons. The response of Gladys, his wife, and Esther, their 13-year-old daughter, was on the front page of every newspaper in India. Here's what Gladys said. I have only one message for the people of India. I am not bitter, neither am I angry. But I have one great desire, that each citizen of this country should establish a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, who gave his life for their sins. Let us burn hatred and spread the flame of Christ's love. Doesn't that sound like first century Rome? Doesn't that sound like what was happening that we can't even imagine, possibly imagine? Many people were surprised, actually shocked, when Gladys Staines decided to stay in India. She explained her decision this way. My husband and our children have sacrificed their lives for this nation. India is my home. I hope to be here and continue to serve the needy. When asked how she felt about the murder of her father, Esther, at the time 13 years old, said, I praise the Lord that he found my father worthy to die for him. Where do these people come from? Where do you find these people? We worry about who is elected president. We worry about uh, getting in a minor situation that's uncomfortable. We worry about not having public prayers. And where are these people coming from? I'll tell you where they're coming from. These are Christ followers from all over the world who have said, I will stand in harm's way for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Peter's talking about in the first century. Stories like this are echoes of countless of stories that Peter would have told in the first century. Many died because they said and continue to say, I belong to Jesus. Let me ask you this question again. Are you prepared to suffer for Christ? There's a chance we may never be faced with a decision like the first century followers and like Graham Stain, Stains and his family. But if we do, Peter speaks to this, this last full measure of persecution in First Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. This is the word of God. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, <laughs> you are blessed. And you say to yourself, who wrote this? And what on earth did Peter mean? Do not fear what they fear, Peter said. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. 
it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than doing evil. Peter is speaking very clearly here as the examples that I've given of Graham Staines and his family. Peter is speaking very clearly about the difference between the little kingdom, the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God. The little kingdom we are bound to for 60, 70, 80, 90 years. The little kingdom is our home, but it's not our permanent home. The little kingdom is good and it's joy-filled and it's wonderful and it's delightful, but it is also broken and sinful and angry and ugly. The little kingdom, you will find suffering. You will find persecution. You will find car accidents. You will find children dying before their time. You will find all of these things in the little kingdom. But God has called us to live in the big kingdom. And so Peter offers his audience, first century Christians who are suffering unimaginable persecution, he offers them some encouragement and also some instruction. Here's what Peter says about those who are persecuted. The first thing he says is this, you are blessed. And we in America, very comfortable middle class America, would say, are you kidding me? (laughs) We are blessed to be persecuted. No, we're blessed when we make a really good salary. We're blessed when we have a great home and two cars and 2.4 children. We are blessed when we have all the food we want and all of the recreation we want. And we are blessed when everything is going good and we have a great church and we have a great school. And we, we are, that's when we're blessed. And Peter said, that's good when that happens. But let me tell you something about these people who are suffering for Jesus, who are dying for Jesus. You're blessed. Now, the word blessed is the same word that Jesus used in the Beatitudes. In the Sermon on the Mount, when he said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That word blessed, it means literally it's translated happy, a sense of well-being, a sense of in the Hebrew, a sense of shalom, a sense of being at peace and being comfortable and understanding that life, the kingdom of God is much bigger than the kingdom of man, the big kingdom and the little kingdom, there's a difference, and we know that difference. That's shalom. That's being blessed. It's being happy. I'm not happy about the persecution. Nobody's really been happy about that, but about what's behind the persecution. Let me explain that. Um, when I was in the seventh grade, um, my twin sisters were in the eighth grade. So in those days, junior high was just seventh and eighth grade. And we had on our campus uh, Jimmy Wolf, who was the notorious um, bully. Now, we have bullies today, and we've even, we even do you know, specials on bullies and like that, but bullies back in the 60s were much better. I mean, they, they were allowed to do a lot more uh, weird stuff, and they were just awesome, because everybody was afraid of them. Everybody kind of gave them a wide swath. You remember the movie The Christmas Story, Scott Farkas? Okay, Jimmy Wolf was Scott Farkas, except it didn't turn out as well uh, for uh, a Scott as it did for me. Uh, or for Jimmy Wolf. So Jimmy Wolf is literally hurting my sister. Now, at this point, I have not really grown into my feet. So I'm just a little guy, you know, uh, not little in by weight, but little by height. And uh, I'm just a little guy. And he's hurting my sister, Joyce. And without thinking, these are kind of times you don't really think about consequences. I just tore into him. And uh, I got the first couple of blows in, but after five, six minutes, I was toast. And, I uh, mean, I was a mess. And somebody finally broke it up. That afternoon when I went home, I, I was telling my dad, I was crying, and I was telling my dad, 
And he said, son, I'm really proud of you. I said, proud of me? Dad, I've got a broken nose and a black eye. I've got blood all over me. He said, no, I'm proud of you. He said, I've told you never to start a fight, but, but you were protecting your sister. And, and I really appreciate that. You did the right thing. And, and you need to know, son, when you do the right thing, as your father, I'll always be standing behind you. Now, what I wanted to say, well, how come you weren't at Greenfield Junior High today? You know, but, but we say that about God sometimes, don't we? You know, God's behind me. Okay. So, 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 but he said, I'll, I'll, I'll go and talk to this boy's father. We'll get this straightened out. But you, you did the right thing. That's kind of the sense of this word shalom. Doing the right thing doesn't mean you're going to be snappy happy. <laughs> it doesn't mean everything's going to be skippy yippy. Everything's going to be great because we know as Christians that that just doesn't happen. But when you do the right thing, God the Father says, you know what, I'm standing behind you. I know it hurts. I know the suffering is terrible. This persecution is awful. But I'm standing behind you. I mean, 9-11, God was standing behind them. We don't understand all of those things, but God says, I am there. In the most recent hurricane, uh, Sandy, I am there. God is there. I'm standing behind you. I know the little kingdom hurts. I know the kingdom of man hurts and you're in it and you're on it. I know that hurts, but I'm part of the big kingdom and I'm, I tr- trust me, I am standing behind you. There's a biblical example of that in Daniel chapter 7 or Daniel chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you're new to the church, Bible, Christian thing, this is a great story. If you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles. We'd love to give you one. But you should go home and read this. The first few chapters of Daniel. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have been uh, praising God and they've been telling people about uh, Jehovah, about God. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar said, stop doing that. We believe in other gods. He's not our God. So stop doing that. They said, we're not going to stop doing that. It's better to believe, you know, uh, Peter even admitted, uh, you've got to obey God instead of man, right, at certain times. So he said, okay, I'm going to throw you into this furnace. And he did, and it was terrible. And he was going to light the furnace and just watch them kind of burn. And so Nebuchadnezzar's bending over the furnace, looking at these three guys who are about ready to go up in flames. And one of them, the spokesman, we don't know who it was, maybe it was Shadrach, said this. He said, God will deliver us. Well, that's interesting. You've got flames all around you, and you're about ready to be consumed. God will, and here's what Shadrach said. He said, but... If God doesn't deliver us, God will deliver us. Now, has there ever been a man who understood the difference between the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God? A man who knew that if he burned in flames, that that's, that's not good. That's not going to feel very good. But God will deliver us. There is the kingdom of God as well. So Nebuchadnezzar looks over and the fire starts going and the flames are licking at these men. And Nebuchadnezzar looks over and guess what he said? You tell me, what did Nebuchadnezzar see? He saw four people. And he said, and one of them looks like a god. Well, there's a good reason for that. (laughs) One of them was God. And God said, you know what? Now, if they had burned up, God still would have been there in their presence. But God saved them in that particular case. And there are times when you just need to understand there's a huge difference between the little kingdom, the kingdom of man. What can man do to me and the kingdom of God? You are blessed. You are shalom. You are happy if you can experience this kind of suffering, recognizing the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of man. The second thing that Peter tells us after he said that you're blessed and we're kind of wondering about that is the thing that we really do understand. And it's this. He said, don't be afraid. Do not fear what they fear. 
do not be frightened. Now, Peter was quoting Isaiah. In Isaiah 8.12, he quotes uh, the prophet who is talking to Israel. And uh, the, um, the mighty Assyrian army is about to overwhelm Israel. Uh, the Israelites are outnumbered 50 to 1. And in that context, Isaiah, Isaiah was always doing this kind of stuff. He said, do not be afraid. Do not fear. Do not be frightened. And I'm sure those are good words, but man, what soldier facing 50 to 1 odds is going to not be afraid? But that's what he said. And basically, this is what he said in that text. Uh, this is uh, chapter 8 of Isaiah, and then it goes into chapter 9. But you know what follows in chapter 9 of Isaiah after chapter 8 about don't be afraid of these Assyrians? He goes into talking about, let me tell you who's going to be with you during this time of war, this time of great destruction, this time of great persecution. Let me tell you who's going to be with you. His name is Jehovah, but let me give you another name for him. His name is Emmanuel. God with us. Read Isaiah 9. That's where we get all, most of our Christmas songs from Isaiah 9. He will be with us, Emmanuel. But what if I get injured? He will be with you. What if I die? For me to live as Christ, to die as gain. What if he takes away my family? He is with you, Emmanuel, God with you. My father uh, died in 1983. He was 56 years old. And uh, he died of lung cancer. And uh, the last year of his life, we all knew he was dying. And uh, we just tried to be comfortable and have good times with my dad. He was a wonderful man, a godly man. I remember one time when I visited him, he was humming a song. He used to sing quite a bit uh, by himself. Uh, our family was big into singing. And, and he was singing an old hymn. In that old hymn, it had the, world, the words, Emmanuel, God with us. Now, you're familiar with the modern song like that, but this was an old hymn. And he was kind of humming and singing, Emmanuel, God with us. And as I was talking to him, he said, you know what? This song really means a lot to me. And I said, well, how's that? Why is that, Pop? I called him Pop. He said, because uh, whether I live or die, Emmanuel, God with us. See, my dad understood the difference between the little kingdom. And we love the little kingdom. I love the little kingdom. Don't think I'm picking on the little kingdom. I love the world. <laughs> I love this blue rock we're on. I do. It's wonderful. But it's the little kingdom. And it's temporary. And there's pain here and there's suffering and there's difficulty and there's cancer and there's uh, livers that need to be replaced and all of this. There's those things happen on this little kingdom. But don't forget ever, Emmanuel. God is with us. Emmanuel. The next thing that Peter tells us, those of us who suffer, those of us who experience persecution, he says, now I'm going to give you some instruction. Here's the instruction. Set apart Christ as Lord. Now, in the um, New Living Translation, it says, but in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. What that means is you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. What does this mean, Peter? Tell us what you think this means. And so Peter would say something like this. Well, if the early church, if some Christ follower in the early church stood up in a public arena, maybe even in uh, Nero's circus, where they were uh, killing Christians uh, night and day, uh, a, a Christian, a Christ follower could stand up in that arena and he could yell out the words. He could say, Jesus is God. And you know what? Nobody would think anything about it. Because they had hundreds of gods, the Romans and the Greeks did. Sure, anybody can be a god they want. You know, that's no problem. He can be a god. You know what? So nobody would have given a second thought to that. But if a Christ follower stood up and said this, 
Jesus Christ is Lord and there is no other. He would find himself strapped in shackles within 30 seconds. Are you kidding me? Caesar is the only one that is Lord. Caesar is the only one that you pay your homage to. In terms of you following and you giving your life to someone, Caesar is the only correct answer. If a Christ follower said, Jesus is Lord and there is no other, he would risk his life and many died for that very, very thing. What Peter's talking about here is kind of a comparison between making fear the Lord of your life and Jesus the Lord of your life. I'm not talking about some other God like Saturn or something else. He was talking specifically to you know, too many. He said, you, you guys are so connected to the little kingdom. And I understand it. It's a wonderful place. I love this blue rock. OK, it's a great place. Don't ever think I'm I'm a anti earth guy. I love it. You know, I, I recycle. So, you know, so, so I love this little kingdom. I do. I, I, I love it. But Peter would say, do do not think for a second that this little earth is your final destination. And do not think for a second that on this little planet that you're going to have a, a good time and it's going to be all easy. It, it's not. It's hard because uh, quite honestly, it's run by somebody else. It's run by somebody. It's run by God's enemy. And uh, the enemy is having his way. And there's a lot of bad stuff going on around here. And it's, so, so, so don't let fear be your Lord. Don't give in to this fear. Because little kingdom says, I don't want to hurt. I don't want to bleed. I don't want to die. I understand that. I understand that. I don't either. Big kingdom says, what can they do to me? <laughs> what can they do to me? Kill me? Yeah, yeah they can do that. Tens of millions of Christians have been killed over the last 2,000 years. Yeah, that can happen. You know, you're not exempt from that. Yeah, that can happen. Peter would say, don't give in to fear. But give your life to Jesus. Graham stands. I don't know about his fear. I'm sure he was afraid when they surrounded him and said he and his son's on fire, of course. But man, it's Jesus. Only Christ matters. Through his loving, sovereign hands, nothing can touch us that does not first place, first pass through his loving, sovereign hands. Christ matters. Christ alone matters. The big kingdom matters. You'll always be in the big kingdom. Always. Christ matters. So Jesus Christ is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's asked his disciples to wait and watch with him which they didn't. They fell asleep, just like you and I fall asleep so often on the watch. And uh, Jesus went and he prayed to his father and he said, Father, allow this cup to pass from me. In other words, Jesus said, I don't want this pain. I know what's coming. Jesus said, I've seen a hundred crucifixions. I know what's coming. I know what happens. And uh, Father, if this cup would pass from me, please, I don't want to go through this. Very human, very real, Jesus. But then here's what Jesus said after that. Nevertheless, not my will, little kingdom, but thine big kingdom be done. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus, very human, very real. I don't want to suffer. I don't want pain. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. We need to um, lift up Christ as Lord. Not our fear, but Christ as Lord. And then Peter gives another set of instructions that are just absolutely amazing. I love this. He said basically this. Tell your story. Stand up for what you believe. 
Always be prepared. Verse 15 B. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Uh, someone was telling me this morning uh, before service that uh, they, they went by uh, uh, another church and the other church, they had out big signs and the signs said, you know, turn or burn. Uh, you're going to hell if you don't know Jesus. And they had these signs and they were showing them to the traffic people. And I thought, hmm, Peter's words. So Peter was a rough guy. He was a fisherman. Peter's words with gentleness. And respect. How does that work out? You know, how does how does bullhorn guy get his message across? Well, he doesn't. At least people don't listen to it. How are we to share our story? Now, the word to have an answer, that word answer in Greek is apologia. You hear it. Apology, apologetics. If you know the word apologetics, it means a defense in a courtroom. You're defending what you believe in a courtroom. That's apologetics, right? C.S. Lewis was an apologist, Josh McDowell, Ravi Zacharias today. Be ready to share the why of what you believe. Some are wired to do that. I'm one of those. Uh, Josh McDowell is one, you know, I love to argue and get into it. And, you know, as long as the other person, there's mutual respect and love and all that. But, 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 but the intent of this is, Peter says, I want you to be sure when you're, when, when you're going through suffering and persecution, I want you to be sure and let everybody around you know that the reason that you're facing is not because you like pain. Because you don't. But the reason is because I'll do anything to point to Jesus. I will do anything to point to Jesus. Because remember, people are looking over the rim of the church. People are looking over in your life and in your way of doing life. And they are looking and saying, I see the way that guy treats his wife. I, I see the way that those people treat their employees. I see the way that student works at school. And I don't know what's going on with them. I don't know much about Jesus and all that. But, but I want that. That's, that's what I want. I want, to, I want to live my life like That's what Peter's talking about. That you're always pointing to Jesus. You know the story of the blind man in the Bible. The blind man knew no theology. He had no uh, training. He had no religion. He had nothing. And uh, Jesus came and he healed him of his blindness and he could see. And the Pharisees came running up and said, aha, he did this on the Sabbath. That was a bad thing and everything. And the guy says, I don't know if it's bad or not, but all I can tell you is this. 30 seconds ago, I was blind. Now I can see. There's a woman in our church who, um, brand new Christian, uh, three weeks ago when we uh, give, gave you an opportunity to pray to receive Christ, she did that and she told me that she was sharing with a, a friend uh, about this newfound life in Christ. And the woman kept peppering her with questions. Well, what about this? And what about that? And what about this? And she finally said, I don't know. All I know is that um, somehow, some way, Jesus is in me. Isn't that beautiful? Brand new three-week-old Christian. I don't know how it works. Not a magician. I don't know the Bible. I don't know all that stuff. But all I do know is this, that... Three weeks ago, I said yes to Jesus, and he's starting to do something inside of me that I can't even begin to describe. I had a couple of, a few years ago, actually, it was several years ago now, we had some Mormons that came to our door. It was a Monday afternoon. Sherry was working at the time. I was home alone, and, uh, and, uh, and I didn't know who it was there. I might have chickened out if I had have known, but I just opened the door to see who it was. As these two guys, two, two uh, Mormon guys, and... And they told me what they were doing. I said, well, I'm a, 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 I'm a believer. In those days, I used the word Christian. You gotta forgive me. But I was a, I was a Christ follower. I'm a Christ follower and I'm a pastor. 
And I said, let me explain what I'd like to do. You're wanting to come into my home and I'm going to invite you into my home. And here's here's how uh, for five minutes. I'm going to listen to you with respect and honor. I'm going to try and not think of anything I'm going to say. I'm just going to listen to you, hear what you have to say, hear what your testimony is, hear what you believe. And uh, for five minutes, I'm going to listen with respect. At the end of five minutes, we'll stop. And then I'll have five minutes to tell you what I believe. And you'll listen with respect. You won't interrupt me. At the end of that five minutes, that's ten minutes altogether, then I'll close in prayer and you'll leave. Under those circumstances, I'd like to invite you into my home. And they said, yeah, that'd be great. You know, they, you know, fresh meat, you know, that's a notch on your belt if you get a pastor to listen to you, right? So, so they came in and we went through that. But what was neat is when it was over, uh, and I never saw these people again, but when it was over, the one woman, as they were leaving, she turned back to me and she had this tear in her eye and she said, thank you. That's all she said. Just thank you. Now, I don't know what happened with that. I really don't know. I trust, like Peter said that, you know, I, I trust that they would come to know Christ, but... But people are watching. People are looking. Know how to tell your story. You say, well, I don't know how. Practice. Practice. Have several stories. I've got probably a hundred stories. Well, how did you come to Christ? Well, that's a story. Um, How did you get called in the ministry? Well, that's a story. What happened with your gambling thing? How could you be so stupid? Well, that's 12 stories. And, uh, you know, and, and, and so I have all these stories. What, what, what did it feel like when you lost a child? That's a story. And every one of the stories end up in the same place. Jesus. Every single one of them. They end up in the same place. That's what Peter's talking about. Know how to tell your story. Oh, I'm too afraid to witness. I'm not talking about witnessing. I'm talking about telling the truth about who you are. I belong to Jesus. I don't fully understand it. I'm still learning. I'm still learning the Bible. But I know this, just like that three-week-old believer in our church. She's here this morning. That three-week-old believer. I'll tell you what it is. I don't know what's going on, but Jesus is alive in me. Now, that's a story. That's a story that will make, make people watch and think and wonder. And maybe they'll go to church someday. and Maybe they'll ask you a question. That's somebody who will listen. Listen, friends. Persecution is real. It's been going on for over 2,000 years, and it will go on until Jesus says enough, and he comes again. But until then, as followers of Jesus, we have to remember that the little kingdom, we have to remember this, death is not the end. Listen, can you hear the sound of laughter from the other side of the grave? Graham Staines and his sons, Peter, Paul, John the Baptist, my son Tyler, my mom and dad, people laughing, thinking... You guys thought it was so bad when we left the planet, when, that, when we left the rock? Are you kidding me? Do you know what's going on up here? Do you hear the laughter? The millions who have been martyred for the faith? Can you hear them singing and singing and praising Jesus who triumphed over death? Will we be persecuted? Perhaps. Will some of you suffer for your faith? Most probably. Will we be hauled into court? It happens every day. Could we lose everything we have? It's happening elsewhere in the world. Is that God's will? Yes, for some, perhaps for you. Can our enemies kill us? Yes. Many have already died. What happens then? What happens then? You wouldn't believe it if I told you. It's the good news. It's the gospel. It's the kingdom of God. It's the best news you've ever heard. They may kill us. But that's all they can do. Emmanuel. God with us. They cannot separate us from Jesus or his love. 
They cannot touch our soul. That is the big kingdom. Emmanuel. God with us. God with us now. God with us tomorrow. God with us when we're happy. God with us when we're sad. God with us when we're broken, when we suffer, when we're persecuted. Emmanuel. God with us now and forever. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? We don't always know, Father, what we're going to face in this world. This um, little kingdom is, is wonderful and amazing and disturbing. And we have questions and we don't know what's going to happen in the future. And we pray for our grandchildren. And Father, we must always remember that we are citizens of the kingdom of God. And no matter what happens to me, what can they do to me? The scripture says. Well, they could take my body. They cannot destroy my soul. When we live like that, we don't live with fear. We don't live with apprehension. We live for the kingdom. And everything we do and everything we say points to one thing and one thing only. Jesus. Jesus and him crucified. Jesus on the throne. All wor- being worshipped being worship by all people of all time. Wearing white robes. Recognizing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Jesus and Jesus alone. Father, may this truth from your word be alive in us today. We pray in Jesus' precious and holy name. And all of God's people together said, Amen. Amen. Well, we would love to uh, take a moment now, and this is part of worship. Uh, Probably the most significant thing we can do in worship is to give, because that's what God did to us. If you're a member, regular attender of Hope Covenant Church, we ask you to give generously and sacrificially. If you're new to our church, I told you last week and I want to remind you, uh, you can come to church for free as long as you want. Absolutely free. And the reason you can do that is because the people sitting around you are some of the most generous people in the East Valley. They give generously to keep, keep the lights on, pay the pastors, thank God, and do all of those things, right? All of this is done for the kingdom of God. Ushers, please come forward to receive the morning tithes and offerings. Stand amazed in the prayer. 
Jesus the Nazarene In wonder how He can love me A sinner condemned on Seeing how marvelous How wonderful
As we sing our last song, I just want to invite the altar team to, to come forward and to come up here. And if, you've, um, if you sense you need prayer in some way, please come forward. The splendor of the King, the clothing majesty, let all the earth rejoice, let all the earth rejoice, he wraps himself in
your heads for the benediction. The grace of Christ attend you, the love of God surround you, and the Holy Spirit keep you now and forevermore. Go in peace.